Well, today we, uh, we look at one of my favorite, top two for sure, stories that you find in the Bible. It's the Annunciation. It's when Gabriel visits Mary and says to her, she will give birth to the Savior of the world. I have a, a, a painting of this in my office by Fra Angelico. There, and there are many who say that apart from anything Jesus did, obviously, that the Annunciation is the defining moment in human history. And I'll explain later uh, why. But today, like I said, we're going to take a look at the story of Gabriel visiting Mary and telling her good news. And if you remember from last week, the angel came to Zechariah and told him his wife Elizabeth would give birth to a son even in her old age and that God had heard their prayers. Now they may have given up on that prayer, but that didn't mean that God gave up on them. And while he, like the Apostle Peter says, maybe thought God was moving a little too slow, God comes always in the fullness of time and at the right time. And our message for last week was let us not give up on having hope, which is the candle that we led this week. And this week we light the candle a piece, which you did so lovely. Oh, she's gone. Where'd she go? Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So our text today continues in Luke 1. So you can pull out your Bibles out. If it's in your bulletin, uh, you can follow along there. If you brought your Bibles, look, if you're at home, make sure you grab your Bible and read along with us. And of course, it'll be on the screens sectioned out so that it helps us follow along a little bit easier. But before we jump in, let's pray one more time. And uh, really, uh, what I like to do whenever we go into the Word is to just allow the Lord's, like, look. You can actually just put yourself in a position that sees God looking down at you in love as He speaks to you His words of truth and hope. So we pray, Lord, as, as we go to Your Word, we know that it speaks truth to us. We know that it brings life to us. And we pray that You would show us Your truth, that You would uh, give us life through Your Word and let us feel Your love, Your peace, and Your hope as we look and go into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the text. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, right? So that's six months picking up from what we looked at last week. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And I want to highlight some of the things here. Now, there are certainly some similar comparisons to be made between the way that Jesus' birth is going to be announced here, how John the Baptist's birth was announced, what we looked at last week, and how other births are announced in the Old Testament as well. In the Old Testament, you have Ishmael in Genesis 16, where the angel comes and speaks about his birth. You have Isaac in Genesis 17, the following chapter, which is very similar to how John the Baptist was spoken about, and then how Jesus is spoken about here. In the Old Testament, you also find Samson's birth being announced by angels in Judges 13, and we also see a little bit of that in 1 Samuel 13 with the prophet Samuel's birth. Really, Luke is using these similar language and allusions and the fact that the angels were there to show that God has been hinting at what is about to happen for quite some time. He has been at this for a while because in all of these cases of angels coming down to announce births, it's God himself who is playing the active roles by sending his angels and bringing about these births for his special purpose. Now, if you're wondering if this place where Mary lived, because it gets mentioned here, Nazareth was uh, a famous place as it is nowadays because Jesus is always described as Jesus of Nazareth. The answer is no. In the first century, Nazareth was a, an insignificant place. It was overshadowed by the neighboring town of Sephora. Sephora, ladies, makeup. 
maybe, a short distance away, which is why Luke states that it's a town in Galilee, because to the Gentile readers, they'd be like, where is Nazareth? Is that a made up? It's that obscure. Not to mention, like I said, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament, but it is understood that this town was a place where members of the house of David, his lineage, actually lived. And the town is named after this small clan that comes from that called the Nazareans, which is why we get the name Nazareth. So it makes sense here that Mary and Joseph both are related all the way back to David. In fact, Matthew goes all the way of showing how David's genealogy leads him all the way back to King David. Now, the text states also that the angel comes to a virgin named Mary, which was a very common name at the time, but it says that she was pledged to be married to this man named David, which is slightly more than just being engaged. It's not just he put a ring on it. In fact, what it really means is they are legally now wed, but the custom of the time was that the groom would leave for a year and then come back unexpectedly to pick up his bribe. Bride, which is, if you are familiar with some of the, old te- uh, the, pe- the New Testament parables that Jesus uses, it really starts to unlock a lot of things about why he's always talking about coming back unexpectedly to the church. And again, angel's name is Gabriel. I think that's enough information. Let's keep going. 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, the angel Gabriel here says three things to Mary, and each of these were certainly true of Mary. She has this unique privilege among any of the persons to ever have lived, because if you think about it, it is actually fascinating and crazy and almost impossible, right, to think that Jesus Christ, who is uncontainable, that he's higher than the heavens and the earth, that death could not contain him, yet was contained in the womb of a young woman named Mary. I think that's fascinating, but we don't have time to unpack it. Let's instead look at the three things that the angel said about Mary. She was highly favored, the Lord was with her, and she was blessed. Now we see in the text that she's greatly troubled at this, not because she was worried about what was going to come, but scholars believe because in her humility, she was surprised to hear someone say, such extravagant things about her, especially having an angel say these things about her. And I want to step into the text here for a moment and unpack that because I think we can relate to this more than we think. It's no small thing to be noticed, to be seen, to be regarded as someone who is favored or chosen, especially, especially when you are exceedingly aware that you should not be. Maybe you know what that's like, that feeling like you should not be seen. That feeling of, I don't have any real worth, there's nothing special about me. When you look in the mirror and you almost, almost hate what you see, wishing and wanting to be anyone but yourself. And why wouldn't you? I mean, we are relentlessly beat down by a world where everyone tells you who you should be and in a more real way telling you who you are going to end up being. This is what I want from you, and this is who you are, whether you like it or not. Be like this, look like this, pushed and pulled in each and every direction, so that at the end, that loudest voice is what we default to. Because whoever is the loudest must certainly be right. And all the while, here you are, just you. And if you're like me, you spend yourself, spend your 
your time to distracting yourself and trying to check out so that you don't have to be you. Don't have to have that awkward silence of just you and your thoughts and yourself. And if you've ever felt that way, there is something I want you to hear today. Not later, not when you're ready or when you have a minute, but I want you to hear today, right here and right now, that Mary was all these things. And while she alone is the mother of God, every believer, each and every single one of us who believes in Jesus Christ has the same three descriptions that Gabriel said of Mary can be said about each one of us. And if you have a tendency to default to the loudest, most obnoxious voice in your life, maybe today, instead, come to the quiet voice of God himself who formed you and redeemed you and says this about you. He says you are highly favored. In Ephesians 1, he says that in love, he predestined you for adoption through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure, his delight, and his will, what he wants all to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, Jesus. God looks at you and says you are favored, that you are chosen, that you are adopted, that he has made you his very own. That when God looks at you, he smiles with joy. He is not disappointed with you. He doesn't look at you and say, man, I chose you as a baby and now I kind of regret that. No, you are his delight. He seeks you. I'm reminded of this story about a, a little child. If they go to the beach and you let them wander really far, which is just crazy, but go with me for the sake of the story, that child will start running down the beach and they aren't looking for the person with the best bod or the greatest umbrella. They're looking for the one person that they know loves them more than anyone else. You, their caregiver, their parent. And that is the same way that God is coming. He's not lining you up against other people and saying, mm, I'm choosing this one because of what they've done, because of how they look. He's coming to you as you are and says, you are mine, you are the one that I love. Matthew 28, like we spoke about in Hayden's bathroom, that he is with us always to the very end of the age. He himself has promised you from his own mouth that he will be with you forever. He does not lie. I come back to this verse quite often because it's important. God has not promised you things. He has promised you himself. And sometimes that's hard because we want things too. But look at your little ones again. How much more valuable is your time with them, your presence, than the things that you've given them? And you too, just like Mary, are blessed. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Blessed now, not with material things, but with spiritual blessings. Giving you a new heart allows you to come to him when you are hungry, when you are thirsty, and he will fill you. Has promised to listen, to see you, and to care for you has called you an heir of heaven and has given himself to you as your portion. Spiritual blessings are things that cannot be attained, only given. And you, believer in Jesus, have received all of them because God favors you. 
because God has come to be with you. Because God himself brings you restoration to heal you and to make you whole. A deep and real love for you. And you need to hear this truth. You are enough in Jesus. All your faults, your mistakes, your imperfections, all of you. You are completely his. And he is completely yours. Angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel tells Mary that she has found favor with God, that she will give birth to a son. She's not chosen again because she was without sin or she was super special. When God called Mary to become the mother of the Messiah, he enabled her to take on this role. And the choice of Mary springs from God's grace in the same way that it does for you. It chooses you out of grace. The focus of this text is always on Jesus. Even Mary herself will show us that. Because this child, this son, will unmistakably go forth being identified as the Messiah, the Savior. And the angel highlights those five things. He doesn't mention Joseph's name or her marriage. He's going to elaborate on how this will all happen a little bit later. But he is saying right here to her now, the fulfillment of that promise made way back in Genesis chapter 3.15 and the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 7 comes to her now. Secondly, the angel says, call him Jesus, which his name coming from the Hebrew wrote means to, to the Hebrew word, root word of to save or salvation or savior because he will save the people from their sins. Now this is kind of nerding out here, but we've got time, so I made this slide. In Hebrew, that Savior name, right, Jesus, is called Yeshua. But later on, it became shortened to Yeshu. In Greek, they took Yeshu, because remember the New Testament is written in Greek, and they substituted an S sound for the Shu sound at the beginning, and then they also added a little S to the end to, mount, to, to spell it now I-E-S-O-U-S, which is pronounced Iesus. So you're there with me now. Greek gets translated into what? Where are my scholars? La you are going to go so far in life. That was Sean. That's why you closed the curtain with such power. <laughs> yes. The pronunciation didn't change, but you'll notice that they dropped the little O right there. And then your boy Martin Luther comes, and from Latin it gets translated into German, and that IE gets translated into just a J, which you get the ye sound, and now you have Jesus, right? Nerd stuff. But in the end, isn't that cool? Yeshua to Yeshu to Jesus, Jesus to Jesus. Nice. All right, let's move on. Third point. This Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be greater than John the Baptizer, who you may remember Jesus himself will say that, uh, John, I'm sorry, John the Baptist will say that I'm not, un, I'm not worthy enough to untie Jesus' sandals. You know about Jesus. You've been singing about him. There is no one greater. He's the name on which all people will be saved. The fourth point is that he's the son of the most high God. He's not just a man, but he's also fully God, 100% God, 100% math. Where are my theologians again? How is that made possible? That's right. Mystery. I just saved you thousands of dollars and three credits in uh, college. 
But it's a mystery. We don't know how, but we know that Scripture says it. And then that fifth point there in your promise, that he will reign forever. When Gabriel says the line, the Lord God shall give him the throne of his David, Jesus is fulfilling the two main requirements of a king of Israel. Number one, coming from the line of David. And number two, divinely appointed by God himself. These are important passages, and the text continues into this. Mary's saying, how will this be? She says, how will this be because I am a virgin? The angel's answer is the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel leaves her. You might be thinking, wait a minute, she asked the question just like Zechariah did, but here the question isn't out of unbelief, but rather out of curiosity. Because this is impossible. But Gabriel patiently reminds her and even gives her proof and says, look at your cousin. In her old age, she's going to do it and drops the mic with the most powerful line I think I have come across and noticed in a new way for a long time. No word of God will ever fail. You're looking for a late Christmas present to embroider on a pillow? That is the one. For no word of God will ever fail. How amazing is that? Jesus, the word made flesh, does not fail in his task to go to the cross for you. He will always come for you. The promises God made in the garden are found true in Jesus. In death, you have been promised a home with him forever. Sinners that we are promised forgiveness. Lost and broken people are promised healing. This is a verse that maybe we don't need to see more of because we see it with our eyes each and every single day, but to become more aware of, to meditate on it, to look for it in our own lives. And upon hearing that, Mary responds with, let it be just as you have said. May your word to me be fulfilled. The story of Gabriel's announcement to Mary is surrounded by all of these impossible things. Old women getting pregnant, a nobody from a no-place town, an angel appearing, a savior being born, a virgin birth, all of these things. But the angel's confession that nothing is impossible for God finds its deepest meaning in that impossibility still remains today. Impossibility doesn't go away but look who enters in each and every single time. And that is the truth for your life as well. That whatever is impossible, whatever the real thing that as you close your eyes and start to pray for, that thing that is on your heart, your impossible will be met by God himself. In our text, it was a young teenage girl from a nothing town. And for you, however your mind is fixed that this is truly impossible and can't be done, this is an opportunity for you to step into this story and to receive. Not that God's going to let you win the lotto, 
or get you that red bike that you want for Christmas. But the real things, the hard parts of life, the relationships that are broken, the struggles that you are facing, find redemption. Because God does not look and say, this is too impossible. Rather, he comes to you and says, in my time, in my time, you will see and you will receive. The call on the end of this text is the movement, is the way that Mary showed us. It's okay to have that troubled heart right now that we don't know how God is going to do this. It's even okay to begin questioning it and saying, how? But we need to end in that spot of saying, let it be, Lord. I give it to you. I take what I can't do, and I'm giving that to you. Because no word of yours ever fails. Because in you, Lord Jesus, impossible to possible doesn't come when I finally understand it or even when I can see it. It doesn't come when I start trying harder or if I just hold on and don't give up. It comes only when the Spirit of God comes, when your presence is here. That's what makes impossible possible, the presence of God that gives you freedom and allows you to breathe and to walk and to find peace, a life-giving spirit that you have received in full because God himself is with you. God himself has chosen you. God himself looks at you in grace and in favor and in love. And if you're wondering why is this the defining moment in human history, it's because Mary could have said a hundred different things. I'm too young. I'm not ready. What about my betrothed? He's not going to like this too much. This messes up the plan that I have for my life. She could have said no. But she responds with, may your word to me, how you have said it, let it be fulfilled. Because every time we come to God that way, every time life happens and we meet it with this attitude and this saying, we take a step, maybe not in defining human history, but certainly in defining the history of our own lives, of aligning our heart with God rather than our own way. And so my prayer for you this Advent, my prayer for you each and every day, is that this impossibility of God may ring new in your life. That you may find truth and let God's love and his choosing of you and his having favor over you root you and fill you so that he may have his way in you like he has done in so many that have come before us.